turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This guy says, okay, this, this is what I'm going to give. Uh, this, is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to make. This is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to say. Hey, I'll give you this much time. Uh, this guy over here says, Lord, it's, it's not, it's, how much do you want me to give, God? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What next, God? Do you see the difference between the two? Humility submits to God's will. Humility submits to God's will. Amen. Good evening. I'm Kyle Welch. Welcoming you to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. It is our mission to lift up the name of Jesus Christ so that the entire world might believe. It's why we are here every night, Monday through Friday on KKLA, to reach this city for Jesus Christ. We are glad you are joining us tonight. Dudley Rutherford is the senior pastor of Shepherd Church right here in Los Angeles, and we join him right now as he brings us tonight's message from the Word of God. Good morning, good morning. Now, let me give you a little background to the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all right? In your Bibles, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Beatitudes are at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And through this series, I'll give you more and more background uh, each and every week. But today, what you need to understand, the biblical context, is that the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, is the beginning of a new day. It's the beginning of a new kingdom. In your notes, and I hope you're taking notes, the Old Testament is ending, and the New Testament is beginning. If you're reading through the Bible, you know you just finish up with Malachi, and then you come to the book of Matthew, which is the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament is centered, it is focused on the law, the rules, the commandments of God. The New Testament, praise God, is focused on grace. Can you say amen? You see, for thousands of years, not hundreds, but thousands, God's people had lived with the burden of the law. That's the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the book of Matthew. He ushers in a new kingdom with some new rules and some new guidelines. It's an interesting point that I want to draw this analogy that the Old Testament began, really, the Old Covenant began with a guy named Moses walking up on a mountain, and that mountain was completely surrounded in a cloud, and God was up on the mountain, and no man could go up there. Moses was the only one allowed to go up there because in the Old Testament, God was, in a sense, separated from the people. Only Moses could go up there, and then Moses eventually comes down off the mountain, and what is he carrying? He has the commandments of God etched in stone because these are the rules 
and the guidelines for the people who are going to live in the Old Testament days. Well, take your Bibles and look at chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 1 and 2. In similar fashion, Jesus walks up on a mountain. The Bible says that when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, but this mountain was not surrounded or covered in cloud. What does it say that Jesus did when he walked up on that mountain? He sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to do what? To teach him. Do not lose the thought that in similar fashion to Moses going up on a mountain, but his mountain was covered in a cloud, Jesus only walks a little way up the mountain and sits down because now you see the kingdom of God is near. Now we have access to God. God is no longer removed from God's people. Jesus is actually God's son, and we have access. But in similar fashion, the Sermon on the Mount, now we have the new rules, the new guidelines. And that's what we're going to be looking at here in the next uh, few weeks. Now, I want you to look at Matthew 5, verse 3. He begins to teach them, and the very first word that comes out of his mouth is the word what? Blessed. And then he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Write this down. The word blessed, when Jesus said blessed, it comes from the Greek word makarios, And it's the word happy. He said blessed, but he could have said happy. And I want you to note that he says it nine times. you got to use your fingers to even copy him. Happy, 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 nine times. It's very interesting that the last word of the Old Testament is the word curse. The last verse talks about a curse. And the first word out of Jesus' mouth, is the word happy or blessed. I want to ask you a question. Do not raise your hand. Do not raise your hand unless you really truly want to answer this question honestly. How many of you would rather live under the blessing of God than the curse of God? Raise your hand if you'd rather live under the blessing of God. Okay. Now, for those of you who did not raise your hand, I feel a little sorry for you. <laughs> but if you raised your hand right there when I said, how many of you would like to live under the blessing of God as opposed to the curse of God? and you raise your hand, that's why it is critical that you pay attention to this series because Jesus is going to tell you how to live under the blessing of God and to be blessed of God and to truly be happy. The world has a misconception of what brings true happiness. The world believes that money brings happiness, that a nice house brings happiness. That a new car brings happiness. That winning the lottery would bring me happiness. Jesus is going to give you eight things that will truly make you happy. And I'm talking about inner happiness. And number one is my assignment today. Every week you come, you're going to get another one. But today is Matthew 5, 5, 3. Blessed are those who are poor. Everybody say poor. Stop right there. That should give you your first clue that everything Jesus is going to tell you is completely opposite than what the world is going to tell you. Jesus is going to tell you how to be happy, how to be blessed. The first thing he says is, blessed are the poor. That should give you a little clue that this should be revolutionary in in what you learn and what Jesus is trying to teach his people. But look at verse 3. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the 
Stop right there. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whatever this poor in spirit means, whatever that means, it must be important. Because Jesus said, whoever has this poor in spirit stuff, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which means this. Hope you're paying attention. If you want the kingdom of heaven and all that's in the kingdom of heaven, that the key, the only way you're going to ever see the kingdom of heaven is if you are poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit, that phrase means to be humble. Augustine said 16 centuries ago, which was the year 412, he said there are three things required for salvation. Number one, humility. Number two, humility. And number three, humility. And what you need to know that humility really is, it really is one of the keys to the kingdom. The word poor in the Greek, the word tokos means people who have absolutely nothing. I want you to write this down in the definition in that box. These are people who are spiritually destitute. He's not talking about financially destitute. These are people who are spiritually destitute who acknowledge they are bankrupt without the ongoing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It really means to be destitute. And Jesus says, if you want the kingdom of heaven, you have to be spiritually poor, destitute. And I want you to take your Bibles, and it means four things. I want you to write this down first of all. There's four things. You've got to get all four. Number one, realize that there's nothing you can do to merit God's grace. There's nothing that you can ever do to merit God's amazing grace. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. You know, you've all heard the analogy that if I took all of you out to the Santa Monica Pier and I told you we're going to jump off the pier and land on, you have to land on Catalina Island. Some of you could jump three feet. Some of you could jump four. Some of you in good shape could jump five. Some of you are kind of athletic. Perhaps you can jump six. But none of you could jump all the way to the Catalina Island. And that's what it's like in regards to salvation. You have to reach a point where you realize that there's nothing that you could ever do. There's nothing that you could ever say. There's nothing that you will ever be able to give that would ever merit what God has in store. Now, here's why this is important. If you were falling asleep at the first part, you, you, you missed it. Don't forget the Old Testament. What was the Old Testament? What was the Old Covenant? It was a system based on laws and rules. And the way people got into heaven was by obeying those laws and rules. Now you come to the New Testament and the New Kingdom. There's a, it's a seismic shift for God's people. We're no longer going to have to live according to the laws in that Old Testament. Now, the seismic shift, you've got to be poor in spirit. You have to recognize that there's nothing. In the Old Testament, I had to do, I had to do, I had to obey, all this stuff. In the New Testament, he's saying, there's nothing that you could ever do to merit eternal life and everlasting life. So there's there's the shift for you. So he says, I want you to look at this, verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. It's the best illustration of really of humility. It says in verse 9, Jesus says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, which is what we do, Jesus told this parable. There were two men that went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. That's a religious man. 
That's a religious man. If I asked you right now, are you a religious person? Most of you would say, yes, I go to church. I I got my Bible here. I'm in church. I'm taking notes. And this man was a a religious man, and the other was a tax collector. Now, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were thieves. They, They could tax you whatever they wanted to tax you. They had to give a little money to the Romans, and they got to keep the rest. They were thieves. In verse 11, the Pharisee, Jesus says, he stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even, he looked over at that tax collector. He said, I'm not even like that tax collector over there. Huh. He said in verse 12, I fast twice a week. When I read that, you know what I thought? I bet I don't have one person in this whole church that fasts twice a week. Not one. This, this guy fasted twice a week and he gave a tenth of all that he, that he, that he had. Now, look, here it is, verse 13. Pay attention. He says, but the tax collector, why, well, he stood at a distance. He, wouldn't even, he, he couldn't even walk to the front. He stood at a distance. And the Bible says that he would not even look, he couldn't even look up to heaven because he wasn't worthy. And he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then the question is, who, who went home justified that day? Well, Jesus answers that in verse 14. He said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. You see, self-righteousness is when you think that by the way you live your life, that you're actually good enough to earn heaven and to be poor in spirit is to be like that tax collector where you can't even look up and you say, Lord, Lord, I, I, des- I deserve nothing. I'm nothing but a sinner. I heard of a Sunday school teacher who was teaching on this text, the Pharisee and the, and the uh, tax collector. When she got finished telling the, the story to the kids, she had, I said, let's all pray. And here's what she prayed. She said, Lord, we thank you that we're not like that Pharisee. <laughs> she missed the point of the whole story. No one's getting into heaven based on their own merit. It's not good enough. Uh, That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You recognize that there's nothing you could ever do. Number two, write this down. Don't allow your circumstances to dictate your happiness. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate your happiness. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Most people, their whole happiness is built on uh, uh, outward circumstances. Now, look what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 11, and man, it's hard for us to even relate to this verse. One verse, it says, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, you stay there in Philippians 4. I'm going to go over to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to come right back to Philippians 4. He said over in 2 Corinthians, he said that uh, he has worked harder, he's been in prison more frequently, he's been flogged more severely, he's been exposed to death again and again. Five times he received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stone-wrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from the false brothers. I've labored and toiled, often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I've faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And yet he writes, 
I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now only a guy who lives his life with an inner peace and an inner joy can say that. Look what he says in verse 12. For I know what it is to be uh, in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, whether living in plenty. How many of you want to know the secret to being content in any and every situation? He tells you right there in verse 13, here's the secret. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me want strength so you can accomplish nothing in your own strength the only way you get through the good and the bad is when you are totally dependent upon jesus christ to get you through that situation do you understand that number three write this down quickly you have to look for opportunities to serve a man who is humble will serve. In fact, I want you to write this down. It's there on the screen. Humility and service are twins. They're twins. If you don't believe that, just ask Mother Teresa. This little old lady, she couldn't weigh 80 pounds. One of the greatest women who ever lived. How does she do it? She was humble. She was poor in spirit. And she served. If you don't believe Mother Teresa, ask Jesus, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And was it not Jesus who got down on his knees, the Son of God who got down on his knees with a basin of water and a towel and began to wipe the feet of the disciples? Listen, no man, no man is going to get down on his feet and wash another man's feet unless he's poor in spirit, unless he's humble. We were talking earlier in between service, the Brewline guys. These are a bunch of guys from East L.A. They've all been in prison, covered in tattoos. And you go over there, and they're the nicest guys on the planet Earth. Uh, they roll up their sleeves, and they get to work, and they serve. Look at this big old man all covered in tattoos, and he's serving. How's that happen? I say, you know, he has Jesus in his heart. He's poor in spirit. Okay? So the question is this, real simple question. What did you do this week here at the church that no one knows about? Where did you serve? Where did you serve? How are we going to change the seven mountains of influence without serving the people in those seven mountains? I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. You say, well, was Jesus... Was Jesus poor in spirit? Absolutely he was poor in spirit. I want you to look at Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, your attitude. Everyone say your attitude. Uh Uh-uh, say my attitude. My attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus. And I love this text right here, but if you don't understand the first line of verse 6, none of it really, really means much. The whole text, you've got to understand the first few words of verse 6. Who, this is Jesus, being in very nature God. If you don't understand that, the rest of it doesn't mean anything to you. This is God. 
walking among men. And it says that he did not even consider equality with God something to be grasped. Out of, in verse 7, he, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a what? Of a servant. This is God serving. Being made in human likeness. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you know anything about dying on a cross, what that meant? They took you and they stripped you of your clothes. And they hung you on that cross and they put the crosses next to the road so that when people in Israel walked down the road, the roads were covered with crosses with thieves and robbers crucified so that the citizens of Israel, when they walked by, they'd look up and say, oh, we better behave or the Romans are going to do that to us. And Jesus chose to die like that. It's willingly t- he did that. Verse 9, therefore, what did God do? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that leads me to the last point. This all flows together. It all, it all comes to this point. Point number four, if you are poor in spirit, you will accept God's will for your life. Because that's really the crux of the matter. Remember, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying, and they were, he knew he was getting ready to go to the cross. Remember this? And what does he pray? He, he, he says, Lord, you know, if there's, a way to, if there's another way, let's do the other way. But he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, he says this, not my will, but what? Your will be done. And that's the difference between a a prideful man and a humble man. Because a prideful man says this, this is what I'm going to do. These are my plans. This is my job. I'm going to do this. I've got these goals. I'm kind of a self-made man here. I'm a self-made woman. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I've got. Uh, the humble, the poor in spirit man is just the opposite. He says, Lord, it's not what I want. It's what, it's what do you want for me? You see the difference? This guy says, okay, this, this is what I'm going to give. Uh, this, is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to make. This is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to say. Hey, I'll give you this much time. Uh, this guy over here says, Lord, it's, it's not. It's, how much do you want me to give, God? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What next, God? Do you see the difference between the two? I want you to write this last thing down. Humility submits to God's will. Humility submits to God's will. Amen. If you were blessed by Pastor Dudley's message and would like to pray with someone, our phone lines are available now and ready for your call. Our number is easy to remember. Call us right now at 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. Our Lift Up Jesus phone counselors are ready for any prayer needs you may have at this time. If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. The secret to overcoming any obstacle you are facing today is revealed through one of the most extraordinary victories ever recorded in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho. 
Joshua and the Israelites followed God's unusual plan to walk around the heavily fortified walls of Jericho for seven days. The Lord promised that at the end of those seven days, he would cause the walls of that famed city to fall, allowing his people to take possession of the promised land. In his book, Walls Fall Down, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shows us how the seven spiritual principles in this story are available for all of us today. You will learn how the foundation behind Joshua's victory is the key to overcoming your own hurdles and unsolvable issues. When you choose to do things God's way, walls crumble, victory replaces defeat, and a blessed future unfolds. Pastor Dudley's book, Walls Fall Down, is available for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This invaluable resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also order this book directly from our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover how your personal Jericho battle is no match for the power of an awesome God. Call us right now and receive your copy of Walls Fall Down by Pastor Dudley Rutherford today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us every weeknight at 7 p.m. here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.